Welcome to Tone Benders, a sound designer's podcast. Here are your hosts, Dustin, Timothy, and Renee. Welcome to Tone Benders. My name is Renee Coronado, and with me today, as always, are Timothy Muirhead and Dustin Camilleri. Hey, guys. Hi. Also with us today is Martin Pinsonal. Martin is a sound designer and sound recordist based in Montreal. He owns and operates Sonomar. Martin's credits include Crazy, Young Victoria, and Café de Fleur, and most recently, Dallas Buyers Club, directed by Jean-Marc Vallée. Also, Luis Sear, is that right? Luis Sear, yeah. It's about a guy, uh, the strongest man in the world in 1882 or something like that. Luis Sear by Danielle Roby. It's still uh, in uh, the theaters right now, too. Nice. You can find him at martinpinsonal.com. That's M-A-R-T-I-N-P-I-N-S-O-N-N-A-U-L-T.com. Yeah, that's right. Are we pronouncing your name right? Well, uh, officially in French, it, it's Pinsonneau, but, um, you know, it's Pinsonneau, whatever. It's like we don't usually pronounce the L-T at the end. Yeah. Yeah. So, so say your name for me. Make sure I'm saying it right. Uh, Martin Pinsonneau. Martin Pinsonneau. It's very That's French. That's right. Martin Pinsonneau. Yes. <laughs> or Martin Pinsonneau, depending. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So this, uh, this show is 50% Canadian right now. Yes. More Martin <laughs> than Martin. Like you're saying. Martin? Martin. 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 But you can call me Martin. How many years of French school did you go to? Like zero. Oh, come on, Rene. (laughs) (laughs) Ask me Spanish. In Spanish, it'd be Martin. (laughs) Come on, you watch Uh, hockey. There's lots of Martin in the NHL. It's true. I watch it in English, though. (laughs) Well. (laughs) Yeah, I have it in French. (laughs) Uh, So... Martin, just tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your uh, your background and how you came into this. Just a quick kind of overview of, of who you are and, and where you're at. Okay, well, I started in the beginning of the 90s, let's say, uh, doing assistant sound editing job, uh, first as a as a, uh, describing uh, dat tapes with uh, building sound libraries and then uh, uh, making my way as a sound editor uh, for a long time and, and being freelance, working for other companies in different types of uh, situation. And and now I'm pretty much back at the freelance uh, spot. And freelance, you're mostly doing sound editorial for film? Yeah, I usually take the supervising sound editor and the sound design job on films. Uh, I get uh, hired by the producers or the directors, and I try to make it fit uh, with uh, post-production facilities in order to complete uh, the offer with Foley, uh, uh, ADR recording, and, and mix, too. So as a sound super, how big are your audio teams that you're working with usually? Uh, we usually have a team of uh, three, four editors. Uh, one Foley artist, uh, eight to ten people overall, if we count the two yeah. recording mixers or one, uh, depending, assistant mixer. So between eight and ten people. That's great. I'd say. So the way that you and I met, I guess, is you were reading my blog. Is that correct? Well, actually, I've been reading your blog for quite a while, and I got uh, involved in the Dallas Buyers Club as a, for, uh, at the beginning with uh, when I received the script, and pretty fast in the... In the quest of, of trying to find how I would work it out, I thought about you being in Dallas and, and, and trying to uh, reach you to get some, some sounds and, and, 
get some kind of a relationship together that we could uh, improve the, the overall sound of the film with real sounds from Dallas. Yeah, and I definitely had your blog on my blog roll, so I was seeing the stuff that you had been putting out as well. Mm-hmm. So it didn't feel like you were a total stranger when you reached out to me at all. Good, good. So just for Dustin and Tim, for everyone else, so basically what happened was Martin emailed me and said, hey, I've got this film, Dallas Buyers Club. It's set in Dallas. I need a lot of Dallas recordings. Can you help me out? Mm-hmm. And I said, yes. And so we uh, we got together and kind of talked about it all and figured all the types of things that he would need. And it was it was a really cool process all the way through. And it's really just kind of, a, it's a really good illustration of the modern audio post scenario that we all kind of live in now, where people can just reach out to one another and uh, and get help from all different parts of the world. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's very uh, inspiring. Uh, you know, we can help each other. And I really uh, believe in that. And it's a lot easier for now to, to work remotely. Uh, it doesn't really matter if we're in the same town or not. Yeah. Which was great. Well, in this case, it was it was nice that I live here because Martin didn't have to come down and record himself. He could just call me up. And the way that it worked was we we first we worked out a budget and we worked out a list of requirements and we got all that signed off on from from the upper people in the production. And then he sent me a bunch of screenshots of the various locales that I needed to get. And then it was more than just me that went out. It was also it was me and a couple other people that went out and did recordings that best matched what we were seeing visually in the screenshots that we got. And that process, what, it took, what, three weeks, four weeks, something like that, maybe longer. Yeah, 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 well, we started it. Uh, I think the big uh, part of it took three weeks, but uh, yeah, we extended it uh, to get the the last uh, elements in, as as always, you know, it's uh, doing a film, it's uh, collecting thousands of sounds, and uh, sometimes uh, there are some missing, and it's great to have uh, the possibilities to do that. Yeah. I mean, what a luxury to have the budget and the time to go out and get custom recordings of the locations that you need. How did you guys deal with, obviously, I haven't seen the film yet. It just premiered at TIFF here in Toronto, actually. So there was a big buzz around town about the film. But I know that the plot takes place in the 80s. And you were recording, obviously, not in the 80s unless you had the budget for a time machine. Right. <laughs> so, like, do you have an issue with, like, cars sounding different or locations changing or anything like that? Honestly, my biggest issue was that Martin, Martin, I, I'm going to mess up your name this whole podcast. Martin is fine. <laughs> or Marty. My, my biggest issue was that Martin needed those sounds in the middle of summer and we were getting descended on by cicadas. Oh, yeah. And so to some degree, all of my remote locations were pretty cicada heavy just because that's what it sounds like um, in the summer. Okay, I am in Fort Richardson State Park. Summertime in Texas, there's some cicadas out. Um, I'm in the middle of a field of grass. Bunch of cactuses out here as well. Pretty clear field of sight, out to everywhere. Highway way out in the distance. It is almost 10 o'clock in the morning. And so, to some degree, all of my remote locations were pretty cicada-heavy, just because that's what it sounds like um, in the summer. But a lot of the other locations were indoors. You know, he needed 
some very kind of specific interior, you know, ambiences and crowds and voila and that type of stuff as well. And I had a, you, you, you gave me also the double MS you did in the hospitals. That was an occasion for me to uh, to deal with, to try to work with those and, and see uh, uh, what to do uh, to them uh, uh, towards the mix and how to decode it in, in surround. And that was really interesting too. Did you end up using that Shep's tool? Yeah, yeah. I, well, actually, um, I have to say that Jean-Marc Vallée on this film has a really documentary approach uh, right from the start. So the use of the, the surround was uh, going to be very delicate, and we agreed right from the beginning that uh, for the reality, uh, the surround wouldn't be used, and we would keep the surround for the moments where he, the, the character is in his head. So uh, I had the, the, that plug-in uh, on the chain, and actually it was really efficient uh, to decode it and using the surround and balancing the surround and playing with the center channel and the, and the divergence in the front. And, and really, it was a really an, uh, a good, good uh, tool for me. But uh, unfortunately, when I uh, got a little more involved in the process, the, the use of the surround wasn't uh, finally used a lot in the, in the mixing. But uh, it ended up being a good LCR. Uh, decoded and it was pretty straightforward for the mixer uh, for the in the mixing stage yeah the specific tool we're talking about is the Sheps double ms plugin that they have out there and it's free and it's pretty amazing as a free plugin for what it does you feed it the three channels you feed it mid side and rear into the three channels and it'll decode it all the way out into five one or down into stereo and it allows you to balance all of your different decoded channels against each other. And you can also take the whole image and rotate it as needed, which is really cool. Yeah, yeah. And there's a beta release too that is a little buggy. So I went back to the original uh, version and it's pretty s similar except for the adjustments that were a little different. And um, yeah, it's uh, very uh, simple to use too. Also, it, you can use a normal MS sound in, in it too. Not just double MS, yeah. which is interesting because uh, you can play around with uh, with those as well. Yeah, it's a great, great MS decoding tool just in general. It's it's just hard uh, to convince the re-recording mixers to uh, bring it in their chain. So uh, yeah, I bet. <laughs> and uh, also, if 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 I'm gonna have a double MS chain bringing the mix, I need to have a lot of ambience in double MS in order for it to balance out in the film. So uh, uh, we're still a place for improvement. It's I don't know if you guys have the same thing too, but. Uh, Format B of uh, Ambisonic has kind of the same problem with the surround zone, and uh, it's really hard to bring these uh, plugins to the mixing stage. Yeah. You know, typically in my workflow, I have to render it, and then um, because my mixer, he likes to balance it manually against a fader. So I would have to pre render it through the plugin into either 5.0 or quad. It makes sense. And it's a case by case thing. Yeah. But then, you know, in my case, that would get 
dropped onto stereo and mono tracks that the mixer would balance off of stereo and mono pairs as opposed to as a whole ambience because for that same reason so that they can push the surrounds um, up or back as needed. So guys, do you want to talk a little bit about the logistical and maybe the technical ramifications of working and collaborating remotely? Yeah, that'd be great. Sure. Well, uh, because uh, as I said at the beginning, I've been working in uh, bigger facilities for for many years, so I I pretty much know all the strength of of working together in one location and have everybody in one place. And uh, so uh, for me, uh, going back to a more remote uh, working, uh, I really want to have a a smooth workflow and and try to bring the same kind of... uh, complicity with the, uh, the the other parts of the team. So working remotely, you know, we don't see each other uh, as much. So we have to find new ways to communicate. And these are the things that I, I try to focus on in the last few years. Things like I'm thinking about uh, Dropbox, uh, the addition of Dropbox in the workflow to share files, uh, sessions, uh, or also uh, other softwares that we end up, uh, you send it, or uh, like web applications, or things like that, that we have to exchange the data between each other, and so uh, things like that. Yeah, one thing that was made pretty simple with regards to our specific collaboration on this one was the fact that I wasn't having to track any picture changes or anything. Literally, all I was doing was delivering big files to Martin, and that was kind of it. The rest of it was handled very similarly to the way that we actually set up this podcast, emails and then some Skype conversations about what's needed and what's not, and then emails just including screenshots of the various locations that we can go get. And then when I was delivering files back, I was also delivering back photography of the setup. I was including metadata in it. In some cases, I think I was just shipping in big raw recordings that he could handle. But it was it wasn't incredibly complex on this particular one because it was mostly about just going out and getting good raw recordings and getting getting them to Martin for him to add into his library and then edit in. But I wasn't having to track any picture changes or anything like that. Yeah, because I, I was uh, on my side with the sound editing, sound effects, uh, dialogue and, and confos and everything. I was pretty much, uh, my, my home was the centerpiece of, of uh, the job and, and the, all the other people like sound design, sound editing, sound design, uh, I have a friend of mine who was doing also sound effects, Anton Fischlin. We were sharing a Dropbox session of the film together between him and I, and we were uh, alternating uh, working sessions in the session. That's one of the things we tried this time, and it was pretty efficient, actually. I was quite surprised. So how did that work exactly? We decided to make uh, our our main uh, sound effects session on Dropbox, keeping uh, the other elements like dialogue and Foley and and the the other stuff coming on external hard drives, but uh, building the sound effects on Dropbox. So we would end up being always up to date, either on his computer or mine. And the only thing you were updating was the actual Pro Tools session? Yeah, we were uh, just uh, working on the uh, on the other guy's uh, session in the morning, or, or uh, opening the session that he actually closed down uh, the day, the night before. So we did also a lot of conforms uh, from here using uh, the usual softwares for for picture changes, like uh, Conformalizer. You guys uh, probably know all that. Mm-hmm. 
That's that's interesting. That seems like it's really kind of, I don't know, it feels gutsy to really do it that way, to rely on having it that way. So were you ever both working on the session at the same time, or did you, one of you work nights and one of you work days? And uh, Well, unfortunately, we can't work in the same session at the same time. Yeah. Uh, we, we can work okay. at the same time, but in different session. We can work in the same session at different times. The only, uh, th there are little uh, delicate stuff uh, in order uh, for it to work properly, like uh, some things like not renaming the folder <laughs> on Dropbox. <laughs> Sometimes you, st you start renaming. So if you have a pretty huge uh, folder and you rename it, uh, it needs to, uh, to rescan everything and, and it can become a problem. Um, other than that, actually, it was really uh, working fine, and we we brought it to like sixty gig. Wow! That session, we went, we we both had like a hundred gig accounts on it, and uh, so the session was pretty big at the end. So was it one session for the whole film, or was this real by? It real? was one session for for the entire film. Wow! And as you guys were adding files to the edit, you were. I guess, spotting to the shared audio files folder. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, the only t the concern is whenever I have to open it for the first time, it has to scan the proper uh, folder. So uh, as usual, when we open a Pro Tools session, we just have to make sure that it goes in the right folder to find the missing sounds. But once it's it, it sorted all that procedure, everything is pretty normal. Wow, that's impressive. Uh, I didn't go uh, further uh, on that uh, route. I try uh, to to bring the idea of of doing a, a show entirely in there in there on Dropbox, going to the mix. But uh, there's still some uh, some uh, some work to be done in order to to do it. <laughs> I bet. I'm amazed it worked the, that well. A little convincing on the on the road too. Yeah. Wow. Mm. And other than that, well, we were working with you send it and other uh, things, sending each other's videos. Or, or sometimes when we would receive a video, I would take my car and go everywhere and say hello to everybody, come back home. I thought it was quite interesting to <laughs> to do like a, to go see each other one time, have a little chat and give the picture, the, the new quick times and, and the little notes and then coming back home. I, I thought I wasn't losing a lot of time there. Yeah, well, it seems pretty important, too. I mean, you're going to have different interactions face-to-face -face than you would over Skype. I don't know why that is, but it really does seem to be true. So basically, the whole crew is in Montreal, just you are all working kind of from your home studios or home offices, and then once a week or so, you go and visit everybody. That's the rundown, basically? Yeah, that's right. And and we did the Foley at Technicolor here, and we mixed uh, at Technicolor as well uh, for the big uh, studio for the finish, but we actually did all the premixes in homes too. Uh, because there was some really big restrictions in the budget for that film. And, and really, we had to find a way to make it possible. So the re-recording mixers, they uh, they did their pre-mixes from home. So we ended up uh, being in Technicolor for about uh, eight, seven, eight days, something like that overall, and finally finalizing the film altogether. And did you pull all the pre-mix data into the actual mix stage, or did they start from scratch? No, actually, we, we didn't start from scratch. We continued. The, it was still live. We never, uh, we didn't print the premixes. We just uh, played it. Uh, we continued mixing, basically. Wow. At Technicolor, with the, with the sessions, we uh, made it evolved. 
yeah, that evolved the... Uh, in the process. That seems to be the new workflow. I know uh, they did that with True Grit on the Sony stage too. Yeah, well, every project has its own uh, kind of uh, restrictions and, and delays and, and schedule. And, and I think working remotely is just one other solution that can be uh, applied in the situation. It's a lot, uh, it, it's less stress in a way to work from home. You're kind of there, you know? Right. Yeah, I don't know. I got to get out of the house. I got to get to the office. <laughs> I I have that too. I I still work a lot in the facilities because I end up uh, collaborating with uh, with the, the facilities for most of the films. So uh, it's uh, it's just a more like a partnership now. That's great. So what I'd love to know, and I haven't spoken to you about this, and, and it's something I'd really love to know is once you got the files from me, what was the whole process? Um, between getting files for me and getting stuff into the cut? Well, when we received it, uh, we brought it into uh, the SoundMiner database and, and listened to the sound and, and found which ones were, were uh, more appropriate for certain places, and we started to, to bring them in. And, uh, you know, and gradually, with all my own sounds, along with yours and the ones also I had access to, uh, because... Uh, as I said, uh, we were, were doing the job also at Technicolor in Montreal. Uh, they, they also have a really good uh, sound library and uh, that I really know really well. So uh, we were able to also dig uh, from that one too. So that kind of like one more source. And all together, uh, basically, uh, we ended up uh, finding all the pieces of the puzzle. Yeah. And, you know, most of what I was delivering to you was dual MS. So at what point were you decoding? Well, we decoded that the final mix. So you left it undecoded all the way through until the final mix. That's right. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And I, I did that also recently for another film for Warwitch, not for double MS. It was more like MS. Mm -hmm. But uh, actually, also, I have a, a post uh, on on the sound of uh, Rebel uh, in my, uh, on my site. And uh, actually, the, the MS... Um, we basically decoded it right at the end, which is, uh, in my feeling, for the re-recording mixer, if he wants to, to do more, he can. It's just like it's accessible, but he doesn't need to. So uh, for the people that really uh, consider uh, spreading the stereo image differently and, uh, and also working with the image of coming from the center and also the, the importance of the surround, it's, uh, it's really easy to deal with that uh, uh, with an, a raw, decode, not decoded uh, MS. Right. It is still also easy to do it uh, decoded, as we also been doing it for a long time, too. Uh, if we bring back to the center or play with the panning uh, in Pro Tools, we end up having some kind of similar treatment. But uh, I, I, I think it, it gives a little more control when you have unprocessed MS. And you find that the mixers actually utilize that control. They actually do get in there and mess with it. It's been hard, like for many years, they didn't want to hear about MS because they wanted us to decode it all the time. Because uh, they, to decode MS, you need to have either a chain of decoding or to decode it manually. And it's time consuming. So for many years, they 
they didn't, I don't know if it's the same for you guys, but uh, they wanted us, the sound editor, to, to decode them. So it's just recent that with the addition of more power to the computers, we, en we end up being able to bring these plugins in, in real time. Yeah, I know in my situation, I'm asked to decode them. Um, they definitely don't want to mess with that after the fact. They asked me to make that call. What about you guys, Tim, Dustin? Do you guys get that request? Um, I, As a mixer, I usually request uh, the raw files because I like the flexibility of being able to play around with that in the mix myself. Um, but, you know, that's obviously personal preference. You know, I'm I'm a fiddler, so... I like to have as much control as possible. And you find you do you do mess with it? You do mess with the actual decoding in the process, in the context of the mix? No, yeah. I mess with everything. <laughs> <laughs> because it's a good advantage to have the raw cardioid, the front channel by itself. You can you can use it as a dialogue element. You can use it in the center. You can pan it if you want. You And it also could be interesting to use the S separately too, because we never know which, which microphone cut uh, what we need better. Yeah, or how it will work once it actually goes up to picture, you know, or the mood of that scene may change in the mix. Who knows? But, um, but yeah, I, I do enjoy the flexibility in general. And even if I do say, uh, you know, you can decode it, uh, I'll ask for the raw stuff anyway, just to have. But recently, I, although I really appreciate the MS uh, texture with the stereo image, recently I worked with the ORTF stereo and I realized that the stereo image of the ORTF is a lot larger. It is. It's dramatically bigger. So, uh, so sometimes uh, recently I, I also go in that direction. Yeah, and um, so Martin, you're also a field recorder, so you get out in the world and do a fair amount of recording as well. Yeah, well, I started that about the same time as I started to do sound design for films. I started to build my own library uh, pretty fast, and um, and it has always been a passion and a, a hobby uh, in a way. Because uh, for us sound designer, it's not our primary work, sound recording, and uh, and it's kind of a sideline uh, thing. But uh, over time, uh, it, it became uh, bigger and bigger, and uh, really, I really appreciate uh, to record sounds as much as possible on the specific projects or in general, uh, just by myself, uh, building the, the sound library. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny to think of it as a, as a hobby and as a side thing, but really, I'm probably in the same boat, you know, when I look at the amount of my professional time that I spend recording versus doing other things, it's probably, I don't know, 10%, something like that. It's low. As much as I love it and as much as I feel like I, that's the primary way that I share myself with people. It's like, hey, look at this cool thing I'm recording today. It's actually, as I think about it, it's a pretty low percentage of the, of the time that I spend doing audio. Mm-hmm. And of course, we can see it as a very time-consuming time to go out and record it. But uh, there are so many benefits of that. And uh, after once you recorded it, it's accessible every time after. So it's kind of you benefit every day of the advantage of, of building a library. So... Um, yeah, and it's so important to have your own custom stuff and just to know the stories behind the things that you recorded just so that you can really get to it quickly, you know. As you look at something on the screen, you can be like, I've been there. I know what I named that file. <laughs> and 
and just pull it and go straight to it. Yeah, that's definitely a big advantage when you get to name the files. You know what to look for and you know how you think. So you put the right metadata in for yourself. Yeah. Where giant library stuff, you know, those people don't necessarily think like you. These things are become, going to become ideas. Like once you, you write uh, words, a definition to a, a sound, then after it's an idea. Then you're, you're going in SoundMiner and looking for uh, spring. Uh, uh, like to, 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 you're looking for the ideas you wrote down, and actually it's really rich mm -hmm. for, for the sound design uh, to do. Yeah, it's definitely a, a skill. And as somebody that does run a library and that is in charge of putting metadata down for other people to look at and to find files that they purchase from us from, it's really hard to do it in a general sense for other people. Because when I'm, when I'm putting metadata down for stuff that's not going to be for sale for my own stuff, I can put all kinds of quirky, weird things in there that will help me find it. But I find it much more difficult to, especially with ambiences, with recordings of wind bending grass, it's just really hard to get so specific into, into what it's going to take to cause someone to find that needle in the haystack and pull it all the way back out. Yeah, that's right. And because we have all different cultures of sound and, and sound design and, and me being in Montreal uh, in a French uh, place, it, it's even harder to really like, uh, of course, over time, I pretty much know all the, the, the words we, we, we're using because I've been using sound libraries for a long time, but it's still hard to find the common words because if you're looking for a car and you're, you're writing auto, you don't find what you're looking for. Well, you'll find everything. You won't narrow it down any. That's right, yeah. So the more accurate uh, you are in the description of the sound, uh, the, the, the more enriching you end up being able to do fast when you do sound edit. Yeah. I recently pulled down the, um, the Sound Morph library, uh, Users of Tomorrow, and it's a really killer library. There's all kinds of cool stuff in there. But it's very kind of abstract, synthy, you know, use UI kind of sounds that are just impossible to put metadata to. And I still find myself really having to just pull that whole library up and go down sound by sound. Not because their metadata isn't good, it's actually very good. It's just that it's unfamiliar to me. And so the language that they're using is slightly left of the language that I use on my own um, metadata for those types of sounds. And it's so hard to figure out what their language is with it and how that language relates to what my language is. So you, ended up, you end up uh, kind of uh, adjusting the description for your needs. Right. Well, you just start finding, you start figuring out their brain space. Uh, like they have, they use like words like uh, big interface, and hologram and things like that. Subtle. Subtle is my favorite one that they use. Like so I'm looking at the library right now. I have it as well. Like, one one of the file is subtle select. Yeah. What the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> but if you listen to the sound, it makes sense and it's correct. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's a, um, yeah. But uh, it's not something you would search for when looking for that sound, for sure. Well, actually, I disagree. I, my me personally, yes, I can find that specific sound. Well, there's actually right. forty four of them or something like that. But yeah, yeah, definitely. It's well, as an example of differences, I would never type subtle select. Yeah. But what I find with that library is I just kind of bring it up and kind of scroll around through it because 
Yeah, me too. There's so, there's so much variety that even if you think you know what you're looking for, you'll find something else that uh, yeah might work a little better as you stumble around it. Yeah, I definitely feel myself still stumbling around it though. But with that said, I go to it enough now to where I think if I I will uh, I'll stop stumbling around in it relatively quickly. Yeah, I've only had it for maybe two or three weeks, so I'm not quite as uh, deep into it yet. I guess you could you could have only had it for like two months. It hasn't been out that long, so. Yeah, I got it right when it came out. Yeah. Uh, Martin, you also have libraries that are out. Yeah. Yeah, actually, yeah, I have uh, four now. What do you have? Well, uh, my first two libraries were a sound like a train sound libraries and uh, water water uh, textures. And uh, because uh, when I, I started my uh, SFX store, I really looked into my sound library and tried to find among my sound library which were the categories that I had the most uh, interesting diversity. And these were the two first uh, categories I, I brought. So uh, I made like a general train library with uh, diesel and electric from Europe. and. a steam train from uh, Wisconsin. Uh, also that I recorded in the States and I uh, regrouped like 58 sounds uh, that I've been recording for uh, the last uh, 10, 15 years and, and I brought them in the train uh, library in, on my site. And uh, yeah, so and then recently I did uh, more like an engine car also. It's, it's called the MPSFX engine. It's a three-wheeler uh, motorcycle that uh, we recorded a few years ago for a film that I was working on and we needed few moves so we decided to record it entirely with the multi-track uh, recorder so I I, uh, I took that and and really packaged it and uh, and made it accessible for everybody and it's a multi-track uh, uh, motorcycle uh, thing so you have like a multiple point of view at the same moment inside and outside for the passing bys. So that's another one. And the most recent one is uh, like a wine glasses uh, sing. I, I recorded some, some glasses, like six uh, different types of glasses. And I wanted to experiment at uh, 192 uh, kilohertz uh, recording. So I, I did that and uh, it's out there. Really interesting to do, yeah. I like that. I, I want to share uh, my sounds too. It's it's part of my pleasure of recording is to be able to share these uh, these things. I I don't want to keep them for myself. So with the with the uh, wine glasses library, did you perform them or who performed them? Yeah, I, I performed them. Yeah. I can't figure out how to do that. I've tried and failed with the wine glasses. <laughs> mm. 
Well, I, I, I'm, I have to say that I'm certainly not the best person to do that, but uh, I uh, was trying to bring uh, different types of uh, feeling to it. And uh, uh, I, it, it could have been a lot more. Obviously, we can always do more and better, uh, but it was a... It was a good recording session, and uh, yeah, and we packaged it and, and cleaned it and and, and processed it uh, at 192 as well. This is a little off topic, but uh, I guess Renee, because of your sound effects library as well, have either of you guys been contacted or looked into the that new uh, sound effect website for indie sound libraries? Yeah, I've got our stuff up on it. Yeah, actually, me too. I've been contacted, I think, uh, recently. And uh, yeah, I uploaded my uh, collections to the site. Uh, very curious to see how it's going to work out. But uh, so far, I think uh, it's, uh, it's pretty... Uh, uh, it's, it's really responding to a, a problem that the independent SFX libraries uh, we were having because we are all separate and all by ourselves. And by having one site and, and have all access to all the libraries from one place, uh, I guess it can uh, become really uh, more interesting for everybody. So to spell out what that website is, it's asoundeffects.com. And basically, all of the indie libraries can go there, and you you get a WordPress login to the back end of it. Yeah. And you build a web page per library, and you upload your sound your SoundCloud link, and it acts as kind of a a central hub for the indie libraries to put their stuff up. And it's nice because you can look at it and you can see, you know, your stuff up against everyone else's stuff with price points and audio demos and the whole thing. And if someone wants to buy something, they click on it and, it and it links back out to your website. The guy that's running it is really nice guy, really helpful guy. Uh, I have no idea why he's putting it together because he's not making any money off of it because it's just portaling out to us. But he's he's certainly doing a heck of a job with it. Well, he's a he's a musician at first, and and he really saw the the problem of the independent SFX libraries, and he really wanted to bring uh, his uh, his uh, collaboration in. So, uh, but I don't. It's not still not clear what how it's gonna become because obviously, if it ends up being very popular, I could imagine eventually that it would change. But uh, for now, I think it's a good way for everybody to get known. He did an interesting interview with uh, Paul Virastek. Yeah, yeah. Is that how you say his last name? Verostic. Yeah, yeah. Verostic. I always so every guest will pronounce incorrectly. <laughs> he was on our podcast, I think episode four, maybe. Yeah. Uh, and he did an interview with him, and uh, it seemed like he's just got uh, you know a good heart and wants to help the industry. He doesn't. He, he like they asked Paul asked him if he felt like there was going to be a monetary end for him at the end, and he was just like, "Well, I can't really see it right now, but maybe one day." So, mm-hmm. but I, I I think he just did it because he saw a need and decided to fill it. Not for monetary gain, necessarily. Yeah, well, clearly there's no mechanism right now for monetary gain with him on it. And to some degree, I almost wish there were, just so I could be sure that he could continue it, you know? Yeah, I see. Uh, his name's uh, Asbjorn Anderson, A-S-B-J-O-R-E-N, Asbjorn. And, and you know, the email interchanges I've had him have been very positive. He's been a really, really nice guy, and he really does care about putting this together well. Um, before this site cropped up, the main exterior reference to Echo Collective, which is our library, was from the Designing Sound compilation page. Mm-hmm. 
that was that was number one as far as outside of the the site that was referring traffic into us. When we initially put some sounds up on a sound effect, I only put up two or three elements of the library because I was just checking it out. And once those went up, yeah, we sold a few of those just uh, out of the blue of some older libraries that have been up there. So I think it's definitely getting traffic. He's doing really good things to get traffic. He's blogging. He's putting other content up there. He's really doing the types of things that get traffic. So it's working out well. Yeah, he's got guest bloggers and yeah. yeah it's a great site. And also, uh, the because we're sound designers and sound recordists, we're not web uh, pros all the time and and we we have to spend a lot of time to get known so uh, really to have uh, someone uh, just uh, going in that direction that is really helpful for us uh, because we don't have time to do marketing <laughs> that much actually I don't yeah for sure and uh, so uh, yeah I, lo- I I think it's great and I hope there's going to be more of those initiative You know, the other thing I like about it is the fact that you can kick up a library and you can see a lot of other stuff out there that's kind of in the same vibe as what you've put out there. And so when I looked at our Squelch library, I caught this other texture library that's up there from somebody that I've never heard of that was not on my radar that was amazing sounding. And I was like, this is a cool reference right here. You know, I can take a look at it and... I could just go down the rabbit hole like I could anywhere else on the internet. And and the I had a feeling at some point that the entire industry would find some sort of central clearinghouse for itself. I knew it was going to happen eventually. It was too fragmented. It's interesting that it's worked out to be this way, and I do hope that this guy catches even more traction. Because it, it, it brings freshness with new sounds that we were not used to, to hear. So it's good. Uh, uh, we don't have all the same sounds that we've been hearing all these years. That's a, it's a good thing, you know. And also, Paul, we were talking about Paul Verostek. Also, he has the idea of sharing sounds that we can, you know, improve in that regard in order to, to, to get access to more sounds to enrich our, our sound design. I'm very excited about all these SFX libraries. Yeah. yeah, and just for the the economy of being a sound engineer, sound recordist, sound mixer, sound designer, whatever, um, you know, it's increasingly difficult to have a career in this. And I think, as Renee said, because these small libraries are so fragmented, it was difficult for people to find. And uh, now that it's kind of being aggregated somewhere, it creates an economy uh, unto itself, and it gives people, I think, another avenue to add to their. Uh, their career portfolio, so to speak, which is great. You know, it keeps more people employed, keeps more people working, helps everybody. So it's, I think it's a big, it's a really big thing actually uh, for the sound community as a whole to have something like this. And I, I would echo Renee's sentiments that uh, I hope it keeps going. And um, if there's anything that we can do from this podcast to make sure that it continues to grow, please, uh, please let us know. Yep, we should probably get us Bjorn on and, and just. Have a conversation with him about how that's all going to. One other thing I'll say as someone that that does put a library out is it's really nice to have a central clearinghouse like this where you can really take a temperature of what's already out in the marketplace. It's very easy to look at something like this and say, oh, there's a hole here or, oh, this is super covered. And it really allows allows us to focus our efforts even, even more on things that aren't already out there. Um, it's an easy place to kind of do research for what you need to do next. 
And also, it's a good inspiration for, for us. Uh, uh, when I buy a library, either from uh, the recordist Frank Bry or, or Tim Preble, recently I bought a few. And uh, honestly, I, I'm, I'm so happy I, I got these sounds. They are uh, very much enriching all the sound design of every work I, I do. So it's, uh, it's really, uh, for me, like these libraries, it's a, it's a really way, a good way uh, and, and cheap way too. Like, let's say it, you know, it's like 20, 25, 30, 40, 50, 60 bucks, 70 bucks. It's pretty cheap <laughs> for what it is. It really is. Did we just hit the trifecta by pronouncing another former guest's name incorrectly? Yeah, we did. We said it's Frank Bree. <laughs> Bry instead yeah. of Bree. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm yes. sorry. Okay. That's all three. Everyone pronounces yeah. Frank's name wrong, though. So, Yeah, it shocked me when we uh, had him on the line and he corrected us. <laughs> it just looks like Bry. Yeah, it should be. Frank, it's your fault. Yeah. We should start a, a petition, <laughs> make him change it. Well, now I know it. <laughs> that's that's his only thing. Is like once you've heard it, then you have to say it right. I think that's fair. Because <laughs> yeah, when I, sure. I a few like a year ago, I worked on a earthquake and fire TV series, and I bought uh, his uh, library, like Ultimate Fire, and it's really like with the the the, the torches and the passing bys and the, the big, the different uh, kind of fire he had. was like really wow i was really impressed with uh, with all that and so it's a for me it's a it's a way to to be better myself after that you know to it's a little kick in the butt to see these guys uh, do the the that uh, in a such a professional way absolutely his video for the ultimate fire collection is really awesome too when he loses one of the torch passes and it like just swings off camera into yeah. his house basically <laughs> you just see him run panicking <laughs> off screen <laughs> that's one of the things is uh, like when i record sounds i have problems to take pictures or, or to film in the same time it's really hard for me so when i see his videos like he takes the time to do all these and it's like wow um really a great commitment yeah, for sure. I had a uh, a World War II uh, installation that I was doing sound design for at the Comanche National Museum in Oklahoma. And they had a whole big piece with all this archival footage of World War I can't believe that there were people out there on Normandy just rolling film cameras. That's the craziest thing to me. But they had all this archival footage put together and they're like, we need Saving Private Ryan. We need it to sound amazing. And, you know, I got it to a certain point and then I had to get Frank Bree's uh, Bullets Library just to tie it all together. Yeah, that's a and great one. when you have the bullets whizzing by your head, then then you're all the way there. the glue it's the glue that uh, makes it almost believable yeah. you know it's like uh, it's yeah. like the big lebowski it's the rug that ties the whole room together man <laughs> it is the rug yeah. <laughs> just to pile on our uh, frank brie lovin i a simple library well maybe not simple it was probably hard to record but like it, you obviously when you think of him you think of the big fire libraries and the bullets because he does these big he also has one called uh, ultimate foliage 
which does not sound like the most exciting library, but I worked on a project recently with a chase through a dense forest, and uh, they were just running through forest for a long section of time, and that library saved my bacon, and it made it sound so cool. He does all these, uh, like he takes big branches full of leaves, and he would whip them by the microphone, so it's kind of like a whoosh, but it's also got the texture of the tree branch, and... Uh, that really worked well and was amazing. That's cool. Not necessarily something I would have thought of myself. So that was uh, an excellent find. Yeah. I, I think that's the brilliance of these uh, micro libraries and these indie libraries is that it allows you to find a very specific thing that the you know large sound ideas stuff, Hollywood Edge stuff, sometimes doesn't cover or doesn't cover enough of. Um, so again, like having a place where all these very spe specific, very micro-oriented libraries is aggregated is just amazing, especially when you're working on, actively working on projects that require, you have to fill this one particular gap, you know, and your library doesn't have it. Now you have a place where you can go and find that stuff. So I think it's, it's pretty amazing that this community exists. Yeah. It is a little tougher because, you know, the whole process of putting a library out is a long, arduous process. You know, you have to plan it, record it, edit it, metadata tag it, put all of your promotional material together, put the website up, then you promote it. And then this a sound effect website means that you have to go and build yet another web page for it. In my opinion, it's probably worth the effort, but the community can only sustain probably about one of these. Well, if, it, if you have more than one of them, then it defeats the purpose of it, right? Because then it just becomes fragmented again. So I think you have to have one central place. Mm -hmm. But can't you see Otherwise, uh, in the future, if this uh, a sound effect kind of builds some steam, that people start forgoing setting up their own website and such and just, well, I guess you have to have your own website. No, you have to have a website. You have to have a place for it to go out to. But maybe the promotion and such of your own website and using it more for promotion. You know, yes and no. I, what I found with regards to promotion is you have to, you have to kind of hit everything, you know, and, yeah. and you never know where it's all going to come from. But I guess for people who, like for myself, I've had, I have a bunch of stuff I could release as libraries if I wanted to, like when I've gone out and recorded stuff, many of them on my blog. But I don't really, A, have the time or the inclination currently to do all the promotion, but I feel like with the sound effect, it might be something that uh, I could throw up there and, you know, if it catches some bites, that's great. And if it doesn't, then, you know, it wasn't my main source of income to begin with. Like, so for a more casual situation than for someone who wanted to set up a whole business and everything around it. Well, I mean, I think the people that are making their entire income off of sound effects libraries, you could probably count on one hand. Yeah, well, I guess not their entire, but counting on it as a part of their income. But we, we certainly have a lot of market still to explore in the sound design community. Hopefully, we would sell a lot more each uh, of, our, of our libraries, you know, and uh, there's still a lot of un uncovered territory. Just in Montreal here, I was very surprised uh, to uh, realize that there were not a lot of people that knew about designing sounds and about the SFX library business. Uh, I've, every time I talk to people, uh, I would say that... Uh, 50% of the people, they don't, they don't know about it because they're too busy working. Mm -hmm. And they don't have time or, or the passion to actually spend the nights and the days on, on the internet looking for stuff. 
Well, and there's probably still a little bit of a stigma too. You know, the the gold standard is to do what we did for Dallas Buyers Club and just go record new stuff for every project. The people that turn to purchasing libraries, that's usually plan B with regards to a lot of things. So, in my, you know, in my opinion, a lot of the more important and more useful libraries are the things that are really hard to gain access to or really hard to record well. Like, for instance, the Bullets library that Frank did. Or the Olivia um, typewriter. Well, yeah. <laughs> exactly. The Oliver. Oliver, yeah. sorry. Dang. Oh, we're just pronouncing every, <laughs> mispronouncing everything today. <laughs> yes, my Oliver type. Well, you know, here's the thing. That, that typewriter is, is not our best seller, right? You know? The stuff that sells better is the stuff that's really hard to get a hold of. Like that zither is a is a great seller, mm-hmm. and so is our motion textures thing, because people just don't have access to those specific instruments that are broken in those specific ways that sound crazy. Yeah, but they also sure. there are special a lot of things to consider uh, when you want to buy a thing. It's it could be easy to say that uh, uh, it's easy to get a water lapping of a lake, but uh, to actually go get it uh, and then to get the waves of the of the, the east coast and to go 200 kilometers one way, it's also you get uh, all the, the result in one package and it's really like uh, even though it's pretty easy to record, it's like it's really cheap to buy. It's even cheaper to buy. Yeah, it's true. And if it would take you longer to go out and record it than you would build to just buy it, then that can come into the equation too. I I I re- I love recording and I will continue to record as much as possible, but when I buy a library, I really think I make a good deal every time. Yeah, there's cool stuff out there because it's 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 really like uh, efficient. You you find a solution, you have it, you put it in, it's uh, it's there. And then you can pass on to the next one, and uh, it's 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 efficient. So, Martin, as a uh, as a super and as somebody that's in in charge of a lot of design, what libraries do you wish you had available to you that aren't out there yet? Um, He's not going to give away secrets. He wants to go make them and release them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, no, no. I have uh, no problems to share my ideas about that. Uh, um, I was just <laughs> actually, I I had a conversation with a sound ideas guy, and I asked I asked him exact the same same exact question. I, I asked him, "What are you looking for?" And he he answered me as like, well, 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 "Do you think I'm going to tell you what we <laughs> we have in the oven?" But uh, <laughs> uh, so I was like, "Hey." I just wanted to be. I was just curious to see what were uh, your uh, your things that you wanted. But uh, for the needs, uh, I guess we, we always need uh, like good ambiences and uh, and the cars. It's always a problem uh, when we don't have like original recordings of special cars. It's I think uh, that we could improve in that. And and uh, with the sound design, with what uh, Tim Preble does with the the symbols and the springs and and all these sound design elements or, or the contact mic are they are just great these things and we could uh, we could add uh, tons of those uh, libraries on top of the ones that are already there and they are all good ideas for me the ones that i really wish there was a lot more of and i know why they're not because they're impossible to get would be deep deep meditations on individual animals tim's Seals Library is a really, really good example of that. I would love to see a deep, deep library of like horse vocalizations mm-hmm. and hippo vocalizations. Um, like uh, walruses make amazing noises. 
Uh, you know, those types of things. I would love to see more of that. I know those are really hard to get, and those are the ones that I want. Also, things that are, like, really difficult to do well. You know, Frank has a, has a very good knack for picking out things that are hard to get done well, like the bullets and, and a lot of the weapons and stuff. But also things like car crashes and car drops, you know, some, some real kind of uh, industrial-style destruction would be would be great. And again, that's incredibly difficult to get, which is why there isn't a ton of it out there. But I've, I definitely got my sights set on some of that. Do you guys uh, look forward to have surround recordings in those libraries? or? Uh, or... I've got a surround ambience library that I recorded uh, all last year during the hockey season. I, got, I ended up with 24 hours of quadraphonic recordings that I am still in the process of editing for sale. So um, yeah. at some point it'll be ready to go. Um, but yeah, a little bit of surround is definitely on the way. And uh, also, uh, personally, I'm thinking about, I don't know what you guys think about it, but I, I was uh, thinking about recording my cat, actually, that is uh, pretty noisy. Uh, so uh, I've, I haven't seen any cat libraries out there, have you? No, I haven't. I did one uh, that I released for free through my blog that has been downloaded many, many times, and... Uh, It was just a one particular a friend of mine's cat that was extremely ornery. Oh, I remember that. And Cringer. Yeah, Cringer, exactly. Cringer the cat. Cringer the cat got uh, met its match with a coyote. So Cringer is no more. Oh. But the library still lives. <laughs> That's grim. <laughs> yeah. Uh, But uh, yeah, I, I can't believe the amount of downloads that I had for that. Uh, it went really well. So I've heard him actually in a couple productions. So it's kind of cool to hear it come back to you. That is cool. But yeah, I'm sure if someone could get a real good coverage of uh, cats. Uh, Chuck, is it Chuck Russum, Russum that has a dog yeah, one? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's got dogs. I have that yeah. one. It's good. Yeah, I have that one too. And uh, that one's pretty great. <laughs> It's it's just hard to be like to cover everything from uh, from like for one topic like a cat like trying to cover all the topic that's uh, really like a big task. <laughs> well, mm -hmm. you know, in the end, you really can't, and so what you have to do is just get everything that you can, and then at some point you pull the string and release it. Um, Boom Library has a killer uh, Wildcats uh, library out there, also as we're throwing all of these out there. Mm -hmm. That is, it's really amazing. It's funny too, because you, you have to sit with it for a moment to appreciate how good it is. Because when you download it, it's not a ton of gigs and it's not a ton of, of, in, of unique files. But as you get into it, there is a, there's just so much unique, good, usable stuff in there. There's no filler. It's all really good. So well worth the money on that one. It's a good point. Too much stock is put in the size of libraries these days. Yeah. It's always like the first or second thing someone mentions is how large it is. And you know what? I would much rather uh, one sound that's great than 50 sounds that are subpar. Yeah. As a freelance working at f uh, remotely, one of the problems uh, is the sound libraries, huh? because we don't have access to the same libraries that the bigger facilities collected over time. And uh, one of the solutions I had was to buy a year ago the uh, hybrid library. 
on a like a base where for freelance. I don't know if you guys have seen that when they 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 released that. It was through ProSoundEffects.com, I believe. Yeah, that's, that's right. It included the Blastwave library and. Uh, is that the one That's you're talking That's right, about? exactly. And the idea behind that is that as freelance sound designers, we're by ourselves, and it's and it's really hard to to buy a big quantity of sounds, uh, and and they actually address that directly by offering their proposal, the hybrid library, for specifically for freelance sound designers. And I really thought that was interesting. So it was uh, more affordable because of the reality of, of freelance. Uh, we're, we're, we're by ourselves, and we don't have a team of sound editors working off that sound library. So I thought it was really a good, uh, good thing. I don't know if you guys have, have had the same library. No, you know, I don't have any Blastwave stuff at all. Yeah, neither do I. I have uh, the Blast Drive, so I already had that when the freelance uh, offer came out, so it didn't really make sense to invest in that particular offer. But, uh, yeah, I, the, the Blastwave stuff is, yeah, I'm a little conflicted on it, but it's very produced. But otherwise, it, there's some really useful stuff in it, so uh, I'm glad that I have it, but it's definitely... Uh, different <laughs> no but I, I i understand that that you know there there are some elements that could be better elsewhere but the idea is having a lot of sounds like like uh, when i used to work at the studio marco or technicolor we would have uh, uh, at least 150,000 cd libraries at the tip of our our fingers and really it's reassuring when you have access to that mm -hmm. and it's it's also it's very good to have access to sfx libraries like the one we've been talking about, but also it's good as a sound designer to have access to a big sound library just to Absolutely. cover the little extras that we will have. And that's the thing as a, as a freelance, I, I don't have like the sound ideas and, and, uh, and the, the normal stuff here. I, uh, I have a few of those, but uh, most of it I don't have. So, uh, so I have to, to work a little harder to fix my, my problems when I have them. Yep. How do you guys deal with that? Yeah, I find it incredibly useful to have, like we've got sound ideas in Hollywood Edge in here, and I, if if those were extracted entirely from my sound effects library, I would, I would feel pretty crippled. Yeah, for sure. As much trash as we talk about that stuff, I mean, you need it. You lean on it for, for all the various things that you, that you do. For sure. I don't have the uh, Hollywood Edge, but I have basically the whole Sound Ideas collection, and then, as I mentioned, the Blast Wave, and then I just eat up all the indie stuff. I have a ton of it. Uh, but yeah, you're right. The, it's a base, and you, you need the base in order to grow off of. Yep. Yeah, when I work with my team, I try to, to not uh, concentrate on these sounds, try to always bring sounds from elsewhere than the ones we have access with the, mm -hmm. with the sound ideas in Hollywood Edge. I, I try to stay away from the doors, let's say, like in the doors with the yes. Hollywood oh, Edge yes. and, and things like that. I, I, when I hear these, these sounds uh, sometimes on, on a film, I recognize them and I uh, just get crazy. So uh, I, I try to go away, but I admit that it's really a, a strength. Too. Did you participate in Tim Preble's Doors Library, Martin? No, no, I, I saw it and uh, I thought it was great, uh, but uh, no, I didn't. Oh, man, I feel like I'm all alone here. You're, you're, so you're okay <laughs> with Doors now, huh? Oh, I'm so set, it's ridiculous, and Tim's jealous. Dustin, do you have it? No, I'd like to get it. Can you still get that from Tim? You can't you get can't, it unless right? you put part, took part in it. You can't get it. He doesn't I offer know. it for sale. 
And it's like, and I can't distribute it, obviously. Because um, I actually had a need for that not too long ago. And I thought, oh, I'll just, I'll finally make the plunge and get that. And then it wasn't on his site. And I was. Yeah, he never offered yeah, it. I cried. For sale. It's so amazing. It's like, oh, wow. Well. Okay, you went on about <laughs> it for 15 minutes last episode. Stop You're right, I'm stopping. I'm going to shut up. <laughs> um, I just wanted to get maybe back to the film quickly, the Dallas Buyers Club. Do you want to talk about how you, uh, like you have a long history with that director, right? Do you want to talk about that? Sure, sure. How did you guys first meet? Uh, well, in, uh, the first film we did together was in 95, uh, Liste Noir. It was, uh, I wasn't a supervising sound editor at that time. I was a sound editor. And, uh, well, we, we continued our work together. Uh, first time we, uh, like for that film, after that he had a short film and he really wanted me to do it. So, so I, I said yes. And, and from, uh, you know, from one film to the other, we become having a good relationship a friendship uh, that really builds and and we like a complicity uh, by uh, uh, doing a film together and it's a great pleasure every time we try to take all the films uh, differently and uh, every, every time it's a surprise because uh, all his films are completely different from one to the other and uh, he's a really emotive guy so uh, it's a really a great passion and a, a great adventure for for me and and all the films, like if I take by example, the first uh, big uh, f hit we did was with Crazy. Um, it obviously, wasn't released in the States because it had a, a big uh, list of uh, music that uh, were not cleared for the U.S. market. So it, it ended up not going to the States, but uh, it was a really good film, a coming-of-age uh, film. And after that, we, we did uh, Young Victoria, which was uh, produced by uh, uh, Los Angeles' uh, Graham King, uh, and uh, and we did that uh, in uh, in uh, London. So I went there, recorded some sounds, and we did. We, and also in the recent films he's been uh, doing, he always uh, tries to bring back the post-production of his film in Montreal for uh, the Young Victoria, uh, Café de Flore, which is a Ke Ke Quebec film. It was a little easier. But for Dallas Buyers Club, we, we brought back all the post-production in Montreal. So we were able to, to handle everything in terms of post-production here. So it was pretty, pretty fun. And uh, he's, he's doing uh, one film at a time. So it, his next adventure, I, I'm still not completely uh, clear as to if I'm going to work on it or not. It's pretty tight schedule and uh, we need to find the, the way to make it work with the budget. It's always a, a good puzzle to make it possible. <laughs> Do you guys have any questions regarding that? Uh, well, I'll say one little postscript about Dallas Buyers Club is one other service that we provided in addition to recording sound effects is we um, we gathered and produced a loop group for the film also. And the reason we did that was because they needed, you know, native Texan accents for all of the uh, loop group ambience people. And hey, I'm in Texas and we have a good loop group here. And so that worked out well. And in that context, I was able to also work with Jean-Marc and he was really great to work with. And he was a really, he was a really good director working with the actors as well. And he got a lot of really good stuff out of the actors in the loop group session as well. I was very impressed with him. He's pretty clear as to what he wants, and, and uh, really in a studio situation, he's uh, very uh, good, yeah. And he learned to do it on the phone, too. <laughs> so uh, we tried to convince him not to do ADR on the phone for the young Victoria, but he did it entirely, and actually it worked fine, and we had no problems, and uh, ADR was, to my, uh, you know, it was really good. So he, he continued in that direction, so he's doing it on the phone, but always very concentrated.
Yeah, he did. He directed Loop Group with us over the phone as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, so but always uh, his films are always kind of a surprise every time, and uh, the so it's a uh, it's really a big challenge. Yeah, and honestly, Dallas Buyers Club, amazing film. Matthew McConaughey does some amazing stuff in that film. Like it is, it's a whole different vibe. Yeah, well, it's a special story too, huh? and uh, and and obviously uh, um, Matthew and and uh, and there's also Jared Leto that is in there that is yeah. absolutely uh, magnificent too. So these two actors are uh, doing a outstanding performance. So I really uh, I, I I wish the best for the film. I I have really a good feeling so far. Yeah, Matthew McConaughey just went through an entire physical transformation where he just gets incredibly skinny and emaciated and it's, you barely recognize him. On top of the fact that he just really acted his ass off in this movie too. He was great. It, it's really it's really convincing and and so far the the reaction is people like uh, have problems even to believe it's a film. <laughs> it, yeah. it looks real uh, in a point where uh, we don't even notice that it's a film. So do you guys want to hear my uh, ridiculous Jared Leto story? Yeah. Sure. Uh, back when this is like, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago when he, like my so-called life was on, there was a TV show that he was one of the stars in. And uh, I don't know why, but he was in Toronto and uh, I was running because I was late for something. And there was a building on the corner that was under construction. So the sidewalks were really skinny. And for some reason he was running the other way and we both turned the corner at the same time and smoked each other and landed on our asses and basically headbutted each other. And uh, I got up and I was like completely out of it. And then I looked up and I'm like, hey, Jordan Canelano, which was his character from that show. And then we both kind of were like, you okay? You okay? And then off we went. But yeah, I've headbutted him. (laughs) So your claim to fame is headbutting Jared Leto. Nice job. Hey, I've done so much. No, that's my claim to fame. Pretty much. Wow. Sorry for that tangent there. I just thought of it there. That sounds like uh, coming to America. Sweet, I met Dr. Martin Luther King once. And you lying. You ain't never met Dr. Martin Luther King. Yeah, I met Dr. Martin Luther King in 1962 in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm walking down the street, minding my own business, just walking off, feeling good. I walk around the corner, man woke up, hit me in my chest, right? I fall on the ground, right? And I look up at Dr. Martin Luther King. I said, Dr. King. He said, oops, I thought you were somebody else. Oh, man, you lying. You ain't never met Martin Luther the King. Knocked the wind out of me. Yes, he did. No, it didn't. Yes, he did. No, he did not. <laughs> I love that movie. That's a pretty great movie. <laughs> so on that note. Yeah. Um, Martin, thank you so much for coming and joining us and, and for talking about the whole process. That was that was great, man. I appreciate it. All right. Well, it's a pleasure. Uh, yes, thank you very much. It's great. And I, I want to pursue in that direction. I think it's really a great... Uh, for me, it's a great part of my uh, my passion for sound design that I, I take from the internet and from you guys, uh, like uh, the, the people we mentioned. For me, it's a great source of motivation for the coming future. And so I really want to go in that direction. Yeah. So... If you want anybody that has any requests in terms of sounds or anything, can just re- contact me. I'd be very happy to uh, to to pursue uh, in that direction. There you go, martinpinsonal.com. M-A-R-T-I-N-P-I-N-S-O-N-N-A-U-L-T dot com. Thanks a lot, guys. It's great. Thanks to everyone who listens and participates in the show. Thanks to Martin Pinsonal for jumping on with us today. Thanks to Adele Young for letting us bend and twist her voice on our bumpers. You can follow the show at The Tonebenders and go to tonebenders.net to leave a comment. Also check us out at facebook.com slash tonebenderspodcast. We'll see you guys next time. See ya.
Thanks for listening to Turnbenders. Find us online at turnbenders.net, where you can see our archives and leave a comment or a tip. If you listen on iTunes, please write us a review while you're there. Follow us on Twitter at the Turnbenders, or email us at DC, Timothy, or Renee at turnbenders.net. We're shooting tonight. Bear? Honestly, I'm just recording sounds. Just my microphone and nothing else. Hello, hello. <laughs> Quietly on the sides of the microphone. Three. Where are we going? You want an ice cold beer? Sure. Can you get him a beer? No, park All right, I'll get it. Tell you what, I'm gonna, I'll park this in your thing here. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, you'll hear all kinds.